Hello world, and welcome to another episode of A24 on the Rocks, where we, a random group of cinephiles, cynics, and film freaks, get together every week, often have some adult beverages, and discuss the sometimes good, sometimes not so good, movie collection that is A24. My name is Kevin K. Konkonacek, and I will be your host for this week's episode, where we discuss the 2015 British documentary, Amy a powerful glimpse into the tragic and troubled life of the musical legend, the incomparable Amy Winehouse. For the occasion, I have chosen a special bourbon out of my collection, a Weller 12-year. So, this pour is for Amy. But I'm not alone. Like always, we have our merry group of movie heads with us, ready to deep dive into this film, minus one coal, unfortunately. He has another gig where he moonlights as a Panamanian drug lord, so he will not be joining us. Luckily, though... Eric Kelly and Blaze are here, and we're going to soldier on. So what are you all drinking? And welcome to the evening. Uh, my name's Blaze. As aforementioned, tonight I am drinking uh, Evan Williams and Diet Pepsi. A disgusting match, to be honest. And then it was uh, buy one, get one. So I also have a Diet Mountain Dew because I'm a sucker for that sweet caffeine. Next up we got... I'm Eric. Uh, I'm quite tired, so I'm having a Kessler whiskey with a splash of five-hour energy on top. Up next we have... And this is Kelly. Uh, I'm taking a little tolerance break, so I'm drinking some H2O and staying hydrated. Woo! Well, all right. Kelly's driving us home well, tonight. I, this is excellent. So, first question for the group. This is our very first A24 documentary. So, I guess, what is your general opinion of documentaries? Uh, do you watch them regularly? Do you find yourself gravitating towards, like, events or people? And, like, any favorites? Eric, since you are uh, the first person I'm seeing right now, why don't you tell me yeah, what you think I, about documentaries? Yeah, well, I love a good documentary, especially... Like, I feel like in the last ten years, they've really come a long way with sprucing up documentaries. Werner Herzog has had several good uh, documentaries that I've seen. There's one that I watched on Netflix. I think it's called The Tower. Uh, and that's, it's about the shooter at University of Texas Austin in the 1960s. It was one of the first school shootings. They animated like all of the interviews and they animated kind of the play-by-play -play of what happened. It was, I mean, heartbreaking, but phenomenal. So I, th I love documentaries, actually, and I think in the last 10 years, they've really come a long way. Awesome. Kelly, do you have any particular uh, documentaries that are your favorites? Yeah, so watching this, I realized about half, maybe like five to 10 minutes, and I'm like, I don't really know what makes a documentary good or bad. Uh, <laughs> it's like, I, I, this one I'm a little lost on because I don't, there's no story to follow. There's no this or that. I'm also not much of a documentary watcher. I watch vegan documentaries. Which I guess the what makes a documentary good is what I had to ask myself. I'm like, does it make me feel something? Obviously, when I watch vegan documentaries, they made me feel so much that that's my life choice. But when I was watching this movie as well, I was questioning as I was watching, what am I feeling? What am I learning? And is it successful in what it's trying to do? So that's a not a big documentary head. So I don't feel like I can speak intelligently on them. But that's just because that's my personal taste. I think it's a very good point about what are we learning. I think a lot of documentaries are focused on teaching someone something, whether it be an educational documentary, scientific documentary, or whatnot. But I also think you can learn things from emotional documentaries and musical ones like tonight. What about you, Blaze? Do you uh, find yourself watching documentaries on a rainy Saturday? Oh, documentaries are definitely one of my uh, guilty pleasures. Um, I really like Rick Steves Travels Europe. I like travel documentaries. I like learning about other cultures that I'll probably ne never get to experience. March of the Penguins, Oceans. Then I like, you know, like Louis Thoreau um, when he goes into like the underbelly, like the Miami Super Jail, the uh, singing Nazi girls. It's really cool to see a good documentary. I think a doc good documentary is only as good as the documentarian. Um, and like, for example, Louis Thoreau, he really lets these people get their guards down and you really get to see the actual human behind the Ku Klux Klan member or the M13 member. So it's really cool. I love all those types of documentaries. So this was right up my alley as far as, you know, 
the type of movie that it was. And to answer my own question, I also find myself really enjoying documentaries of all different shapes and sizes. Old ones, new ones, modern. You guys all hit on some excellent ones. Uh, shout out to Woodstock 99 documentary. Ooh, I, I Netflix, watched that too. Because that was pretty I feel like Netflix's and, docuseries, uh, they're getting huge. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And they're they're really latching into something awesome. And uh, which really cool segues into what we're going to talk about tonight. So this particular documentary that we are about to review uh, is Amy, a 2015 British film directed by Asif Kapadia and produced by James Gay Reese. The film covers British songwriter Amy Winehouse's life and struggle with substance abuse, both before and after her career blossomed, and which eventually caused her untimely death at the age of 27. Amy premiered at the 2015 Cannes Music Festival, being shown in the midnight screening section. Distributed by Altitude and A24, it was released theatrically on Jul- July 3, 2015, The film received critical acclaim, guarding 33 nominations and winning a total of 30 awards. The film was initially proposed by Universal Music, who first approached a film team who produced the 2011 critically acclaimed documentary about the late F1 driver Ayrton Senna to see if they would be interested in creating a project on Amy Winehouse. The documentary features various unheard tracks from Winehouse, archived phone calls, media appearances, unseen home videos, hundreds of interviews with family and friends, and has been a film described as being from Amy in her own words. The film includes live sessions, behind-the-scenes footage from early auditions, as well as some powerful scenes giving the viewer a glimpse into the tumultuous personal life. So as we often like to start each episode discussing our initial vibes of the film, I see no reason why tonight should be any different. So, all of you, what is the initial opening scenes, what are your vibes, and how do you think we started out? Kelly, you're at first. I was amazed that they had so much home video footage, and that was obviously pretty critical for the whole film. I also was kind of wondering, because they open up with the home video, and then I was curious if there was going to be voiceover or narration or sit-down interview style like way of going about telling the story. Uh, and I kind of quite liked that they didn't need that. It seemed to almost be like an all found footage kind of documentary, which I think when you're telling a story about a person's life is kind of rare to find. So it was a fresh way to approach covering this kind of topic on a person. So I appreciated the new kind of way that they were doing it. As far as I know, maybe it's been done, but I thought that it was fresh. Blaze, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Kelly. The first scene where she's singing happy birthday it got me really sad because it's like a it's like a movie you've seen before because you already know the ending. So you definitely feel like her innocence was lost along the way, and that's the beginning of her journey. So that's very sad and somber, in my opinion. And I thought the uh, director did a really good job at portraying that by tugging on those heartstrings. And then, as to like Kelly said, I really enjoyed that there weren't any sit down interviews. It was all voiceover interviews of. Um, her life and uh you know there was a there's some obvious editing about her you know almost poetry like songwriting but i liked that uh people act different when you put a camera in front of their face versus um you know just voice recording them i feel like they're more honest and more truthful so the interviews that he did get i think that really showed through in the end product of the movie so i thought the way the movie went like that was very smart and a very good way to get the raw emotion of her life Eric, what were your initial takeaways from the first couple scenes? Um, of the just film? like everyone else here, yeah, I noticed that the uh, they just chose to use voices of the people they interviewed and put it over old, you know, home videos, pictures. I th- it was a gutsy choice to do that. Um, I like it. I I liked it from the start. I think throughout as it goes on, maybe I mean this is probably intentional, but the uh, all the paparazzi footage got quite annoying. Um, as Amy Winehouse, I'm sure, experienced that was quite annoying for her. Yeah, I, that was definitely a top thing I noticed. And, I mean, I, I growing up, knowing Amy Winehouse, not personally, but just knowing of her, um, you see just how far she came from uh, when she was a, a teenager. You know, like, how, how she kind of descended into what she ended up being and how sad it is. You know, you see her as a, as a teenager, and she just, like, seemed... I don't know, healthier than you've ever, I ever remembered her in the public eye. And it's such a stark contrast from, you know, my memory of her. And that's, I definitely think the director um, chose to put uh, that home video, those home videos right at the start to show like, hey, look at this person, this teenager, seemingly 
like any other teenager, but then her her life, you know, takes a dramatic turn. So for me, I really liked what Blaze said earlier about having that initial emotional reaction to what you were seeing on the screen and being sad knowing what was going to happen to this person. I also had that exact same initial reaction where I was just like, oh my god, this is so sad about what we're going to see and witness and where it started and maybe how it could have been avoided and just... The overwhelming emotion right off the bat was not something that I was expecting. I did not know what I was going into going to see the movie, but then when it started going, I was just kind of like, all right, well, we're in for a roller coaster right off the bat. And I think the director really made a, a conscious effort at starting us out that way. And we see through the rest of the film that that continues, that emotional heightenedness, that awareness is something that the viewer must kind of contend with and deal with as they watch the film. Um, right away also, we get a certain soundtrack that I picked out because it was so unique to me and I never heard it before. Um, and that's the uh, Moon River track that Amy recorded at 16 years old with the British National Youth Orchestra. I got goosebumps within the first you know 30 seconds of the movie when that played, and I had never heard that recording. So did anyone else take note of that song as we opened, just thinking about 16-year-old Amy, and she's already such an old soul musically, and kind of how that made you feel going forward with the basis of the movie being music? Yeah, I did notice that, and it's like a... It's associated with like Audrey Hepburn, that song is. So I thought that that was a really good choice for that too, because it's just like, though not as famous as a story of a woman who's subject to so much fame that it destroys them, basically. I think that that was a conscious choice that that is the song that they picked to do at the start, not just because of the age that Amy was singing it, but I think it kind of sets up this story that we've heard many times and we know what's going to happen in the end and it it's the right kind of tone to set. It's from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, by the way. You know, yeah. uh, classic '60s movie, Moon River. So, is anyone a self-professed wow, a self-professed lover of jazz? Eric, what do you think about the jazz that we get right away going, from the you beginning? Like jazz. I, <laughs> you like I gotta, jazz? I got I, I, I like jazz. Um, I, I just like know that I'm not as nerdy and into it as people that are really, really into jazz. Like I know people that are extremely into jazz like my dad you know i couldn't talk to them for more than five minutes without showing uh that i actually don't know that much at all um but like i i respect jazz i love jazz the history of it you know it really led to popular music in our country in our country you know it started in new orleans you know, i kind of got interested in the history of new orleans at one point it actually kind of started um which it's now louis armstrong park in New Orleans, it was a very Catholic city, and on Sundays, uh, they would actually let the slaves uh, have Sunday off. And so all of them would gather in this park and uh, start playing any kind of instrument they could find and improvising and improvising. And that's what actually eventually led to the creation of jazz and uh, New Orleans' rich history with jazz. You know, it started in the early 1900s when, you know, obviously Civil War ended and people were free and uh, they would pick up instruments still, and they would still play uh, and improvise together. And um, so just that history, knowing that right there, makes me love jazz and respect it for what it is, for sure. Right. So Amy lists some of her influences, like Don Washington, Sarah Vaughn, Tony Bennett, and Thelonious Monk. And those are some of the biggest names um, at the time in their performance art. And she's quoted as saying, I learned from everything, really. So she was classically trained, and I feel like the movie did a really good job of starting out the viewer at the logical place at the very beginning, giving us her background as a pure musician. She's not doing anything else. She doesn't want to do anything else. She wants to concentrate on her music, and we kind of see where that goes from there. So speaking of chronological order, Blaze, what did you think of the choice by the filmmakers to make this a true chronological film? Our first scenes are from 1998, when Amy is 14, and the movie progresses from there. How did you think about the approach? Uh, I think that it really worked for this documentary, going in chronological order, because like I said before, we already know the ending. So the point of this uh, documentary was to A, humanitize her, because I think during the peak of her fame, she was really just lambasted by the national media, because I'll tell you what, uh, just to get off a little side tangent... I thought rehab was about her saying, I'm not going to go to rehab when I first heard it. And I was part of that crowd that made fun of her for it because I thought she was just a wild mess. But then you learn about, you know, the actual meaning behind it and it completely changes 180s my opinion about her. It works uh, chronologically because 
You know, I think we do have to understand the steps you take in once you hit that certain spot in fame and how many people let her down in every stage of life until her untimely death um, at the age of 27. So I really think going in pure chronological order from beginning to end actually did this documentary a lot of favor instead of jumping around from X to Y to Z. I agree. It kind of gave us a perspective of how she was progressing through her life for better or for worse. We saw the months that preceded and the months that followed, and I thought that put us in in the zone. Did anyone else have a particular opinion about the way that our uh, director or producer made this a true chronological film? Yeah, I thought that you definitely needed to already have an idea of who she was before you started this film, because it doesn't lend you anything if you weren't aware of who you're already watching it about. It just kind of throws you right in and expects you to know a lot, which is fine, but it's a choice that kind of makes it not accessible to everybody. You kind of have to watch it with somebody who could give you just a brief little story before you jumped in. Otherwise, I think you would feel kind of alienated for a while until it starts to settle in. I also appreciated, even though we kind of started at her teenage years, they did touch on her childhood for just a sec. Because I think that that was a story that was never told. Like, no one ever talked about, like, how how she became what she became. Because I'm kind of in Blaze's boat. I didn't, I didn't even know that she was really a jazz musician when she was on the radio. I just thought that she was a pop artist with a different kind of look. I didn't know how talented she really was until later. Had I not already kind of learned all these things about her and I just kind of jumped into this movie, I don't think that... I would have been settled and understood what was going on until about halfway through. What do you think, Eric? Did you enjoy the way that the director kind of set up that we could follow her entire life in month-by-month increments? I did. Um, I, I, Like I was saying at the start, we kind of see her as a teenager. She just kind of seems like any other teenager, even though like we we've shortly figure out you know, uh, her parents were divorced from a young age. She didn't see uh, either of her parents that much. And she did have trauma as a, as a child, you know, but uh, you see her at that point and then you see her progress throughout the years in chronological order. And it, it is just kind of watching. They actually say this in, in a film, watching a human slowly disappear. And the way they did it in chronological order, I think actually it, it helped you know, or it, it was a good choice. You both touched on a really key part, um, and that's the the small glimpse that we get into her childhood, um, where Amy mentions her absent father, her weak mother, how her grandmother was such a, an important part in her life, and how the divorce truly was that jumping off point for her in turning into this rebel who didn't want anything to do with with her mom and didn't have a dad to tell her no. And it's crazy to me that we see throughout the rest of the film Amy's massive desire to latch onto strong men throughout the film and how it really seems to me it comes down to this one moment where she's allowed to just kind of go out and do her thing. And I'm all for independence and discovering how you are as a kid, but there was no ringing it in. And Amy mentioned it over and over again that she feels like if there was something there, maybe she wouldn't have gone down that path. So I'm going to ask you, Blaze, do you think that that moment might have been kind of that linchpin moment where after the divorce, it was kind of going to happen regardless? Or is that just looking too far into it? I get where you're going with that, but I do think you're like going a little too far into it. I think a lot of us have, uh, a a majority of people have a pretty shitty upbringing, like if I'm being completely honest. But that doesn't mean that we're all going to fall influenced to um, the stuff that she went through. I think a lot of what she had, I think she has a lot of father issues. I think her father leaving... And then coming back into her life as soon as she becomes famous is a very, like, negative thing. Mitch Winehouse, who told her not to go to rehab, even though that he fights, that he actually said that. Um, it's pretty clearly said in her song, uh, Rehab. Old love interest, Blake, um, I think he was a real influence uh, and part of her daddy issues. The fact that he broke her heart so badly and left her that she crafted a quite quite a beautiful album i've been listening to it on repeat for a couple days now so and then for him to pop back in her life when she became famous i think uh she's very dependent on other people and she wants to make other people very happy so i think it's unfortunate uh her upbringing and the people that left her in her life but at the end of the day like i'm alluding to you we all do have the choices she just chose wrong unfortunately 
So Blaze started alluding to some of our real-life characters that we kind of get to know as the film goes on. And unlike a regular film, or a film that isn't a documentary, we have actors to judge their performances on. Well, we don't have that, so now we have to kind of judge the people on the way that the director or the producer displays them to the viewer, or represents them based on the interviews or however. We clearly have negative opinions about certain individuals in this film, and we have positive opinions about other people in this film. Um, so do you believe that when we're writing this documentary and how these producers are putting it together, that we're meant to feel a certain way about these individuals? Did they lead us to that? Or is it left up for the viewer to kind of make their own choice? Kelly? I'm so torn on it because I so much blame the father and the ex-boyfriend. And I don't think that the documentary really went out there to try to make it worse than reality. I think that they just tried to like give it as it is, and they even let them speak for themselves. They could have made them look a lot worse. They could have made them look a lot better, but I think they tried to toe the middle line, and still I was... I I know how I felt about them, so... Good answer. Eric, what did you think about the... Not necessarily ham-fisted attempt at pushing your opinion on them, but just maybe the subtly, clearly, here's your opinion from the I director. do think that they shine a light on the truth, and I, I do think that they actually took an unbiased approach to it. It's just that the truth was the truth, that uh, her dad was a leech, Blake Fielder also a leech, but also a co-addict, and he was, you know, kind of using her to carry on his addiction and live a life of more money. And I guess this is generally, you know, pop stars, when they get that big, We uh, now we definitely know about uh, Britney Spears. They're, they are the product, and, like, everyone around them is just trying to get money sell and sell them so that they can get their uh their fix you know their money and that's definitely what seemed like to uh what happened with amy winehouse is that she had this amazing enormous talent and when uh back to black came out you know blake fielder comes back into her life uh her dad i mean he was always kind of there but you you start to see that he is hanging around her a lot more and it's just, they just kind of notice, like, oh, I can get in on this gravy train. And they're going to do whatever they can to keep it going. Well, that's what I got from it. And that's what I think the director was showing them as they were. Because they, they used mostly found footage here. They could have uh, found something else to, to show these people, these characters. But they didn't. They showed found footage. So I think they showed them for what they really were, you know? Yep. And... F- for the other side of the coin, too, we do get some positive characters that make the viewer feel like someone who was looking out for Amy or maybe supporting her. And, you know, her original manager, Nick Shemansky, and maybe her close friends and kind of showed that there was a support network because you have to juxtapose the bad guys with the good mm-hmm. people. And in this film, we do have villains. We have what Eric just eloquently stated as the leeches who come back into her life, clearly at the time when it's most advantageous to them. And it honestly ends up killing Amy. And I feel like The documentarians wanted to show this and made it very clear of their opinion on it. And it shows because right after this film was basically released, Mitch Winehouse was, you know, threatening to sue if things didn't get changed and has come out against this film and said that he doesn't believe that there's accuracies in it. And that truly just means that he's probably pretty damn guilty of pretty much everything that he's accused of. But I kind of digress. A couple other things I want to discuss is the cinematography and some of the ways they presented some of the things that we've been seeing. Um, I really enjoyed some of the montage clips of Amy's handwritten lyrics as she's figuring out her poetry has been writing as really songs and some kind of other sides they put along with it. Good examples would be when they're showing some of the jazz clubs or some of the songs. They put the written out lyrics next to her as she's performing. I loved that touch. I thought that was a very important way of bringing the viewer into those scenes. Uh, and I do think that there was some some touches that really made this stand out um, as a documentary, but also as a creative film. Did anyone else take anything away from those moments? Yes, I agree completely on the lyrics um, being written. It's this like intimacy that is necessary to really like feel into her songs, especially if they're ones that have never been heard before and you're only going to hear them that once. She has a unique way of singing where sometimes I don't even understand her words on the first listen. I think that it's a necessity out of not just comprehension, but the intimacy that it offers. And I think that it was a really good inclusion. I had my own thoughts on the font choice at first. I thought that the font could have been better. 
but it did kind of <laughs> look like her handwriting, so I know why they picked it. Graphic designer Kelly over here. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what did you think? Uh, I actually also kind of agree with the uh, font choice. I was like, huh, I don't know about this font choice, because <laughs> Kelly's a graphic designer, so now I kind of judge fonts now, too. But yeah, it did provide an intimacy into it, and it showed that you know she was a true songwriter. She mm-hmm. she like wrote those lyrics on her own, um, and a lot of pop stars do not. And she also like could play guitar, and you know she it it really proved just how much of enormous talent she was. You know, uh, Blaze, did you have anything to throw in? And what did you think of the uh, visual effects and kind of the establishing shots and some of those montage scenes? If I'm being completely honest, uh, there was times, uh, especially towards the middle of the movie, where it just got way too busy, where I was paying attention what's on the screen outside of what's like actually happening to Amy at a certain point. I thought it was really busy. It got a little irksome sometimes. It got a little like, I had almost like look away because, you know, there's so much like words like popping up on the screen. And I, I get the total artistic merit to it. And I do think that it did serve some purpose, but... I think the uh, director and the editing team really heavy relied on it. Like, we get it. She has really, like, sad, heartfelt lyrics. I kind of want to hear it more than look at it sometimes. So I think they did a little, a little overboard sometimes. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I just want to add the found footage did get kind of agitating to me at, at points. You know, the paparazzi, it just the camera moving around constantly, it did kind of get annoying at points. And... That was a directorial choice, you know, to use all found footage. And it's gutsy, and I respect him for it. But, yeah, it definitely can give you a headache if you uh, don't get a little break from it, you know? I absolutely 100% agree. I think that some of those shots were absolutely intentional to make you feel uncomfortable and awkward, but there were others where it did kind of feel busy and it distracted you from kind of what was happening. Eric, you mentioned... Oh, I was going to say those paparazzi scenes. Like, I felt like I was going to have, like, an epileptic episode sometimes. Like, I cannot believe, like... It really, like, did not make me want to be famous. That's how terrifying it was for me. Not that I'm afraid to be famous. I'm afraid of that constant just, like, pop, pop, pop. That was legit out of, like, a horror movie for me. (laughs) Put a a pin in that thought because we're absolutely going to come back to what we feel that must have been like. But, Eric, you mentioned something about Amy's songwriting. And we have a unique opportunity here because you are a songwriter. And as that, you've taken the time to pour into yourself to find that inspiration. And Amy says, I won't write anything unless it's directly personal to me. I wouldn't be able to tell the story right because I wouldn't have done it. So Eric, can you relate to that? What was kind of your creative process when you're going through some of the songs that you were creating? And can you relate to to Amy during that moment? So I was surprised after hearing, reading her lyrics, just how directly like personal they were. They like, I will write songs, um, but I will make them a little ambiguous sometimes. You know, I won't, try to be too on the nose, but she literally wrote a song. They tried to make me go to rehab and I said, no, no, no. And that was literally what happened. She, they tried to make her go to rehab. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it sounded also like the love songs that she wrote. Uh, they were very on the nose with, you know, her tumultuous relationship with, uh, the wanker Blake Fielder. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that, like she was very, and I, you know, completely respect that, but she was, she had like a certain lyrical pattern, um, that made her sound like an old soul. And, you know, that's for me, uh, I think I'm, I, I am a little more ambiguous in my songwriting. And I, I like to think that like when people write songs, you know, they kind of, they have like a certain, um, what should I say? Mise en scène to them, you know, like they they have a certain like thing that they can only do themselves, you know. No one could write songs like her, and uh, I write songs my own way too, though. Yeah, I think that you nailed it absolutely when you say that she had a an intent on her lyrics, right? She and it came out clearly when she was writing about things that affected her life. We talked about um, when tragedy strikes; a lot of time that's inspiration. And for Amy, it was the uh, abrupt leaving of Blake when they initially got together and kind of the, the heartbreak that resulted in Back to Black in general. And without those life experiences, Amy doesn't necessarily write those songs the way she does it. And maybe thing everything kind of changes out and does differently. But it's a unique experience. So thank you for sharing, Eric. 
there are certain parts of this film where I kind of found myself getting extra emotional or feeling really particularly bad for Amy in some moments, but I also had overwhelmingly happy experiences during her performances and sharing of her love and joy of music. Did any of you notice any particular heightened moments of emotion throughout the film where you were just like, wow, I feel a certain way more than, let's say, others, like a certain um, scene or a certain thing that happened to Amy where you just kind of felt connected to her in that moment? Absolute happiest moment to me was her waiting to get her award and Tony Bennett comes up to give it. And she looks like a happy little child sitting there staring up at the video of Tony Bennett. And then later she goes and meets him and records with him. And that like made my heart soar for her. I was so happy. And her facial expression was the like the most purest joy. It was extremely heartwarming to see. I agree. I took an extra note during that scene too. I just was taking pause at that was a genuine reaction. That was truly how she was feeling at that very moment, captured on camera for, you know, millions of people all over the world. I'll follow up too. What about you, Blaze? Oh yeah, go, Kelly, the please. Probably saddest point for me was right after that scene when she brings her childhood friend back with her and tells her that nothing feels as good when she's sober. Like everything's more boring. Like this is like the highest high. I imagine up into her life right now, she was just acknowledged. She won an award by her icon said her name and her immediate thought is, I wish I wasn't sober for this right now. And that was that that's crushing. Yeah, just absolutely just makes you feel so bad for her in that moment and makes you wonder if there was any ever chance at all. If, if something that beautiful and special was boring, then there was maybe no hope. Eric, what do you think? Um, my favorite part of that specific scene actually was uh, obviously it was her getting the award that made me, you know, my heart warmed. But like also when uh, right before that they announced Justin Timberlake's uh, record name and she was like, "What goes around comes around." That's his. That's the actual name of the album. <laughs> uh, it just made me actually. It made a larger point. She was such a unique and like original artist, and then you have fucking Justin Timberlake over here making songs like yeah. and records called what goes around comes around just like a saying that's been around for a hundred years and yeah it just that scene all together though really hit home for me just how original she was as an artist and it's just like oh my gosh she heard her childhood hero tell her that she won the record of the year and yeah again though uh her friend you know said just right after that like she wished she was high you know and it shows just how sad her life had gotten to that point Right. So, Blaze, we're talking about emotional scenes. Is there anything that you took away that was kind of like that oh shit moment or just that really kind of you made you just pause? Yeah. And kind of feel yeah. for Yeah. Um, I think one of the uh, positives about having the candid, raw footage um, film is that every emotion you actually like, there wasn't like any faking it. So, uh, the award was obviously really cool. I thought uh, one of the cooler parts was when she actually got to meet Tony Bennett and she was like, so scared to like sing next to him even though that they're like basically on the same level and then she needed to take like five six seven takes and he was like no because i'm a perfectionist too and it's never going to sound the same and i felt like that was like the, the peak for her because right after that it's like all downhill the parts that made me uh especially emotional they showed the late night clips uh i believe it's frankie boyle jay leno and graham norton they all poke fun at her and at this point in the movie, I am so invested into Amy Winehouse, the person, that it really made me feel bad because probably at that time I was watching one of those shows and I was laughing along with it, kind of like a la Monica Lewinsky. Uh, I, feel, I feel deep shame for myself. And then the other part that really took me for a loop was uh, when she was on her benders and the paparazzi was following her and... She just looks like absolute shite. Like, she is like eye makeup running down her face. She's barely comprehensible. She has no shoes on. And it's just like, you just can't help but feel like, you know, someone who's so far down the rabbit hole. Like, I'm sure at that point, people were not saying if, but when. So um, that really evoked a strong emotion in me of someone that, again, in just, you know, an hour and a half, two hours that I got to know. So that was... uh. Really, really, really uh, heartbreaking. 
So we've been tiptoeing around the idea of fame and what fame does to a person and kind of all of the trappings of fame and all of the pitfalls that come along with it. And it's clear from some of the initial conversations and the interview questions, our director wants us to make us think about that idea of fame. Amy is clear that she doesn't think she could handle being famous, right? As she would go mad. She has a pervasive self-doubt about herself all throughout her life, and this film does a great job of setting the scene from all different struggles that Amy would eventually have down the road in handling her star status while battling prevalent anxiety and depression. So how do you feel that the media and the paparazzi are portrayed throughout this film? I know we've touched on it, but now let's hone in on it a little bit. Do they share some of the blame for what eventually happens to Amy? And what did you think of the filmmaker's approach in using heavy saturation of the flashbulbs, sound effects, and other effects to enhance the overwhelming presence of that life of privacy invasion? Kelly, why don't you start us out ripping the paparazzi a new one? Yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely think that it was completely intentional, as we've already been touching on this. Uh, it was obnoxious. It was in our face. It was going to make us have a stroke. But... I think it should be that way. I think that that's what it was like. And I think it all happened really fast. Same in the documentary. There's no slide into it. It's just like one day your life's kind of more normal. And then the next day there's a thousand flash bulbs outside your door all the time. Uh, I think that it was well done. I appreciated the heavy handed approach. I appreciated that they, for lack of a better word, showed Amy's Britney Spears moment where she lashes out, I would do that. I know that I would if I was in those shoes. Like maybe I would be nice once or twice and then I would lose my mind. And I very much empathize with that reaction and that fear and that complete lack of privacy. Blaze is talking about how they take pictures of her at those times. And it's just like, I don't even want to look at the screen when they show those pictures. It is such an invasion. And I think they did a good job showing that in the movie. I think they could have even done more, and I would still not have a problem with it. Eric, did you have a particular opinion other than what you've already shared on kind of their approach with the paparazzi and some of those incredibly raw, um, visceral photos? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it gets agitating after a while seeing that all the time. But yeah, again, I can't. I can only imagine how agitating it would be in person for for so long, just like having to see light bulbs just blow up in your face. Um, and this is, okay, where I think it's almost a double-edged sword with celebrities sometimes because, you know, they do, uh, when they're musicians, actors, actresses, uh, they kind of sign up for that fame when they release um, or sign these record deals, sign these deals to do huge movies. They kind of sign up for that fame, but then I do think there needs to be an in-between where paparazzis should get out of their way, you know, when they're trying to just have sit and have dinner or something, you know? There needs to be an in-between here. Uh, and I, I think that 14 years ago, uh, that was probably the very pet, like pinnacle of how horrible paparazzis could be. And again, we saw it with Britney Spears and everything. Um, and it just, like, there was no end to it, you know? Like, she couldn't even go on an island vacation without her dad bringing paparazzi to the island, you know? So messed <laughs> up. Yeah. Not even that. He was, like, filming his own documentary. Like, yeah, yeah, it just leads us to more reasons why Mitch Winehouse is the worst person in this whole film, in my personal opinion. All right, Blaze, did you have any uh, more rants on the, the paparazzi we wanted to get uh, out of the way? Well, I've said a lot, but I do want to take Eric's counterpoint. Daniel Day-Lewis has done a great job staying out of the uh, limelight for all these years. I don't Does even he know. He in the middle of nowhere in Ireland, I think. Yeah, yeah. he like, just <laughs> minds his own business. Like, I don't think I've ever heard yeah. him actually speak. Um, I've talked a lot about it because I think that's one of the main points of the movie. Um, almost like a be careful what you wish for scenario. I do want to say though, uh, just to get a little bit more lighthearted, I've been like that fucked up before too. And I could not imagine what the paparazzi would do if I walked out of the bar <laughs> or what I would do if I saw the paparazzi. Cause like, that's at your most vulnerable. And that's when like, I get it. You need to put, uh, money on your own table and stuff like that. But you know, there's a like Eric said, there's a gray line. Uh, you got to find it because people need to live their lives because it's shit like that that causes people to like as soon as they get inside, they're like, OK, now I need heroin because that freaked me the fuck out. So I sympathize with her and I think we're supposed to hate the mainstream media for um, what we let them get away with. What do you think? Eric? Uh, yeah, the 
I, I think a big part, too, was showing the comedians, the late night talk show circuit, um, just showing how, like, cruel they could be. And even, like, they don't make jo- jokes uh, that cruel even close to as much anymore. Like, I can't picture Stephen Colbert ever body shaming a bulimic, treating addiction <laughs> like that as a joke. And that was just the way it was 14 years ago. And it's like, holy shit, we've come a long way. Um, I mean, there are comedians that are still pretty edgy, but like, you know, making fun of a bulimic and oh my gosh. And then there's one um, point that I really wanted to point out. Dave Grohl is laughing um, at, could someone wake up Amy to accept her award? And there was like a joke. And uh, he was right next to his drummer who eventually overdosed. Uh, and it was right in the background right there. He was right next to his drummer laughing at a, an addiction joke when his drummer would die just, what, 14 years later. And, so, uh, and he used to play yeah. with Kurt Cobain, too. So that's yeah. Even... yeah. Well, that was Courtney Love. But you, yeah. yeah. You nailed all of those things on the head. And Eric, you and I talked about this <laughs> oh, it was Courtney before Love. the podcast. Okay. But <laughs> three months after... Three months after Amy Winehouse passes away, Neil Patrick Harris throws a Halloween party. And at that Halloween party, he brings out a giant cake that is in the shape of the corpse of Amy Winehouse with the hairdo, the tattoos, and a toe tag that says literally the corpse of Amy Winehouse. Are you three months, kidding me? Three months after she passed away. And it still circles from time to time in the media, and he continues have to apologize about it. But... It's yeah, it's one of those things where it was the culture at the time to just absolutely deride this woman to the ground and nobody seemed to put themselves in her shoes at all, which segues to the idea that I believe these directors and these filmmakers took upon this project to really reclaim the name of Amy Winehouse, that they took this project on in the attempt of not salvaging, but reminding the public that she was such a beautiful, talented, wonderful human that had everything going against her from the beginning of her life through the bad choices of the men, powerful people around her to just the weight of addiction and eating disorders and alcohol. And it just makes you so sad. And we've touched on this time and time again. It just makes you wonder if these things would have been out in the public, if we would have noticed or said something, or if it wouldn't have been the way it was, would she have lived past the age of 27? I don't know. But it does kind of make us all kind of somber in that moment. And that's the whole point of this documentary, is to really make you think. Did anyone else have any kind of uh, opinions on the way they they made us feel or how that kind of came across? Um, I do. Yeah, I think sure. we should, you know, touch a little bit on addiction. And there are people that are, you know, just genetically predisposed to it, you know. And uh, there are a lot of people that have went through divorce, you know, in their childhood, like Amy Winehouse has. Um, but there are definitely people that are just predisposed to it. And I, I think she was definitely one of them. I, I kind of wonder, you know, was she just kind of destined to fall into that trap? Um, but then at her weakest point, you know, or the kind of the threshold between her being able to get help and not uh, being able to get help. Uh, she was just sucked back in by all these people trying to get, you know, make money off of her. Uh, Cause there was that point when her friends, uh, she like, this was early on before back to black. She was with her friends in Camden and she fell and hit her head and they were all like, we need to get you to rehab. And like you said, um, that's when her dad stepped in and was like, no, we don't need to do that. You know? And that probably was the breaking point right there or the breaking off point to where she could have been helped and where she went too far with addiction. And that was just the tumbling down the hill right there, I think. They do a good job of portraying that specific decision right there, too. It's interesting to me that rehab goes on to become, ironically, the only reason, not the biggest reason that she becomes such a famous multinational global star is because that one moment, that one time where she could have went to rehab and things may have gotten different. That was her last great hope. And then it see what we see what happens. But the great irony is if she does go to rehab, she probably doesn't write that song. And if she doesn't write that song, maybe she doesn't explode and become the you know tragic superstar that she did. But I guess we'll never know. Uh, as the film kind of goes towards its natural conclusion, um, we do see Amy go deterioration, and she is, you know, becoming weaker and weaker as she battles with her bulimia and with the alcohol addiction. 
she does try to fight at certain times and we see her kind of get clean and go back into relapse and all of those struggles that make anybody who's ever felt the you know the powerful grips of addiction makes you relate with that character I'm trying to even come up with a good question because as we're talking about this, I'm also just reminded of how I was feeling during the film. And we've spent a good, you know, 45 minutes here kind of just bringing all of these emotional things back up. But I will be the first to admit that as the final um, side slows, the side shows were playing and we were seeing those images after she had passed, there were definitely tears running down my face. I was very emotional. I was very sad. I was very taken up in the moment. And I guess I just wanted to know from you guys if anyone else kind of shared those those feelings as we were watching the end and, uh, you know, not necessarily felt guilty. I didn't know if I felt like it was my fault by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely felt a whole lot. Could anyone else relate? Yeah. So Blaze is, I'm not trying to be the first person to respond to every question, but that seems to be the theme. I have too much that I think um, on this movie, but Blaze is touching on something that I wanted to touch on too, where I felt a... Kevin, you're calling it shame. Blaze was calling it shame. Or you were calling it guilt. Blaze was saying shame. I felt some shame also watching this movie because it's not an excuse, but I, I was much younger when her songs were on the radio. And like I touched on earlier, I hadn't I didn't know much. I just knew what was laughed about. And I probably I heard rehab and I was like, maybe she probably should have. And then it makes me feel awful uh, looking back on it now, especially because they do such a great job in this documentary of showing what a like sensitive person she was and how very, very personal her songs are and how if these like tragedies don't happen to her, those songs don't get written. And it, like it's heartbreaking. That was kind of what I touched on earlier. Like, what does a documentary make me feel? This one made me feel like it was all of our fault. <laughs> in a way and that I wish that things could have been different for her and I wish that she could have accepted the love that was around her and then the greater love of the people that weren't laughing at her or did know more about her rather than just the surface level of what was given to us and I don't know it's messed up how little that we're told about these celebrities that come out and she wasn't even just a celebrity she was actually a raw talent and how few of them are there in celebrity worship world like she was the real deal so i it made made me feel sad and it made me feel shameful eric what did you kind of think as we were running towards the conclusion of this movie i i saw this once uh actually in theaters way back in 2015 and i definitely was very i i, I remember being very emotional when i saw it and now on the rewatch i i was emotional i was not um crying, which I think I did in 2015 when I first saw it. I, I definitely, it felt like a, a punch to the gut, though, when she finally passed away. It, it was it was kind of one of those things that's like you knew um, would eventually happen. Uh, and let's say, like, I was watching this. I didn't even know that she uh, died. You know, I, I would have still, like, seen those pictures of her towards the end and known how much she was struggling with addiction. And I would have guessed that this was the outcome and uh it's still sad to you know see it happen and when they finally die it's just such a tragedy that nobody could have helped them earlier in their life and then in her case specifically it was so public everything that happened and her death was public and it almost makes you feel like i hope i hope she's at peace i hope she's finally found rest and uh yeah i hope she you know doesn't have to deal with paparazzis anymore which he doesn't so yeah absolutely blaze what are your thoughts as we kind of uh, wrap this up with with the conclusion and kind of how you were feeling towards the end of the movie yeah um like i said i feel like the most emotional part was the beginning of the film just because you know how it ends um there's no alternate ending to this documentary and not to get like too heavy into the allegories and stuff like that but this whole movie from beginning to end kind of reminded me of like an in memoriam, like something that you would play prior to a funeral and you're crying the whole time, but you need to see the uh, casket and then you can start healing. And I think that's the big overall message of this movie is that we can see this wonderful, smart, funny, beautiful, talented, a uh, little bit shy, but also like really into the limelight. Uh, she was just like the perfect, like, not the perfect human, but, you know, she had a lot of great human characteristics about herself. 
And I think the ending was the sobering reminder that we can be better as a society. We can be better as, you know, than to go on late night and make, you know, terrible punchline jokes about someone's appearance or addiction. We can be better than being involved in every millisecond of every celebrity's life because our lives are so uninteresting that we have to leech off of other people's. Um, I feel like the ending of this movie was exactly what it needed to be, but as far as emotions, I think the emotions let you bleed out from zero seconds to the credits. You, It wasn't like one big cry at the end. It was just a whole just, I saw the body. So that's uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from. All right, before we get to our final reviews, does anyone have any uh, last-minute comments, questions, or anything they want to throw in on this before we uh, give it our letter grades? I kind of. Do you want to talk uh, a little bit about the fashion back then, the pop polos and fedoras? No. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, our, our villain Blake wore a fedora at every <laughs> fedora turn, and, and I was a just pop ridiculing polo. him. What was the movie where <laughs> yeah. we talked about who wore fedoras? Yeah. <laughs> I and, yeah what movie was the fedora? Oh, that was movie? while we I were young. You guys. Yeah. Why were we young? Ben Stiller and yeah. his fedora. That's right. Also, um, documentary maker. You're just an actually. old man in a hat. Also, and then, yeah, Amy wore polos all the time, but like her her hair was actually a direct. Uh, it was an homage to Motown singers uh, back in the day. You know. Well, what I asked Eric at some point during the movie. This was one of the ones that we did talk through a little bit. To be honest, usually we watch and we're very serious. Uh, I was like, when are they gonna show us? When she decided to start rocking the beehive, when are they going to show us who's who was the inspiration for the thick liner? And we do see her hairstylist for a hot second at one point. And I was hoping there would be a scene just for the hair and makeup lover and me of them getting the beehive up and ready to go because that was such an iconic look. But the rest of the fashion around that time is so silly and it's so fun to go back to. I do, I do have to say, though, I did like her fashion transformation. I think she went from, like, really, like, mid-2000s, like, terrible looking, and then she got her own, like, she had, like, the newspaper dress, she had the, uh, what do you, the tube tops and stuff like that. Like, she really owned her fashion, which I really, like, I liked about that, about her back in the day, too, so, um, it was cool to see. You know, she brought back like rockabilly kind of look, which was so cool. And like you kept seeing like new tattoos. I like when she hugged her like mom or grandma and she had the tattoo of the girl with like a bare chest. <laughs> yeah. That was a really interesting angle. <laughs> yeah, she had her grandma Cynthia as a pinup on one arm and then she had daddy's girl on the other arm, mm-hmm. which kind of is an interesting whole thing, right? Had- so he's got her most maternal influence on one side and uh, daddy she on the other. She had Blake's name tattooed over her heart with a little pocket. You don't need to be Freud to get that. Yep. And an anchor that said, hello, sailor, (laughs) right by her crotch. Uh, But anyways. All right, guys. We're going to go ahead and launch into our final letter grades on the first ever A24 documentary uh, that we have had the pleasure to review. I'm going to go ahead and start it out since I haven't talked too much and it seems like a good opportunity to do so. I was really excited to see this movie and I was really excited to review it when I saw it on the list. I'm a big fan of music in general, and as a jazz musician, it kind of makes me have a certain connection to Amy Winehouse and some of the music that she was producing. I was emotional in this movie from start to finish. There were several times where I kind of just had to pause and process what I was watching. And as Kelly alluded to in her first opening statement, that a documentary needs to make you feel, it also needs to make you learn. Both of these things happened for me during this film. I learned a lot about things that I had no idea on from Amy Winehouse's personal life. It showed me that a documentary could continue to be innovative, continue to do new things that make the viewer not just digest the information, but actually fall in love with the information that you're being presented. I really appreciated the extra effects that were thrown into it from a cinematography standpoint, even something as simple as accentuating um, ice cubes clinking and a lit drink being poured. It really made you feel like those were gravitas moments and it was a really big deal. The lyrics being played with the songs made the songs feel more powerful. It made them feel like they were coming from Amy herself. And at the end of the day, I really appreciated the attention that our director and producer put into making sure that we all not just respected Amy Winehouse, but pulled something extra away that we can leave leaving this film for. For all those reasons, I absolutely enjoyed watching this. I will recommend it to my friends and to my music lover family and everyone else who may be looking for a different portrait of this 
kind of forgotten wonderful music musician so i'm giving this movie a solid a24 i really enjoyed it from start to finish and i will um look forward to the next eric you're next uh yeah i i think i love the choice of going all chrono chronological order and i i could see this movie just as a normal story you know when you get from point a to point b a tragedy you know and that her life was poetic uh a poetic tragedy almost in that sense and i think they did a good job of depicting that i uh so the choice to use all found footage is my one knock on this film um i even if there was like some breaks here and there between all of the shaky camera and everything i i think it would have gave given my brain a bit of a break i i am gonna give it a small knock for that even though i think everything else they did with it Having all these interviews, not showing the interviewees, but just having it as voiceover, I, I actually like that choice a lot. And you really, you feel like she had friends, she had people that cared about her, but you saw addiction and fame slowly pull Amy Winehouse away from that one point, her safe spot where she was in her life, you know? And uh, it's such a poetic tragedy. And um, they, yeah, again. Did a good job depicting it. Anyway, uh, I will give this a B plus. Uh, I I don't think this is like the utmost groundbreaking documentary that I've ever seen, but I still really appreciate it and respect it. All right, Blaze, you're up next. Yeah. Um. So this was a very very interesting movie for me. I like I said, I didn't know much about Amy Winehouse going into this film, and I am so glad that I did watch it because I've learned so much and. The cool thing about A24 is when we talk about A24, we talk about, you know, people taking chances and bigger themes than what the movie's about. And that's two things that I definitely took away from this. I think, like Eric said, I do think it was the uh, shaky cam and, you know, the slideshow pictures and the words on the screen. I did think it got a lot, little busy, but I completely commend the director for sticking to his guns and saying, that's the story that I want to tell and this is how I want to show it. The big lessons that I learned was never judge a book by its cover. Learn about a person. Don't like let Jay Leno um, influence your thoughts about who a person is because they might actually be really cool. Be careful who you trust because I really do feel like, uh, as we alluded this whole uh, podcast, is that Amy was let down by so many people in her life from telling her mom that she had bulimia, didn't do anything, from her dad randomly coming back into her life to her boyfriend coming back into her life after he chose his girlfriend. She wrote an amazing album all about how sad she was about it, and then she still took him back. And then her dad, that whole reality TV show thing, we never even touched on that. That was literally made me want to puke. So I really feel like a lot of people let this girl down, and like Eric said, there were a lot of good people in her life, and maybe she just chose not to, you know, maybe it was just easy to take the, uh, the route she took. But I learned so much about her, and I did like it a lot. It wasn't perfect, like I said. The uh, editing kind of got me. Uh, but I have listened to Back to Black like four or five times now since Saturday. So it is going to get that little uh, A24 bump, and I'm definitely going to agree with Eric. It's going to be a B plus 24 for me, but I would definitely recommend it to everyone. All right, Kelly, bring us home. Yeah, I think, Blaze, you kind of touched on exactly what I wanted to say as well. With A24, I expect those things too. Something groundbreaking, something bigger than... Um, bigger than life kind of theme that you should take that was given to you. I talked about feeling something, learning something. I did both of those. I touched on my feels. And I think the amount of empathy that I have for Amy Winehouse now is just like tenfold exploded. Not that I didn't have it before, but she was just, she wasn't at the forefront of my mind. And that's, I just didn't know enough and now I know more and now I care a lot more so I think that that is the goal of a documentary so great points for that and then we're talking about the kind of found footage way that they went about the film I liked that choice but I didn't love it and I also think that it just became a little like contrived and exhausting after a while I think that if this is the movie that you care about if this is a story you care about you are you are in it and that's totally valid and it's a movie that's made for you I don't think it's made for everyone I found that the movie it just took a really long time for me I feel like I wish that it was shorter once I had a feel for what they were doing with it it stopped being as fresh for me even as new footage was shown I was just like okay and then what I know what's coming in the end and I know like I'm not trying to sound like I don't care 
But this is how I was feeling about the filmmaking itself. I think also the other big knock to jump in my thoughts is just, I feel like you already had to have a pretty good idea of who Amy was to watch this movie. And that's fine too. But for me, that's a knock because I feel like not everyone can see it. So that's just my thoughts. This isn't supposed to sound like a bad grade. I did really enjoy it, but I think it's just a slightly better than average documentary. So I'm going to give it a B minus 24. One thing that we didn't touch on at all, which is kind of mind-blowing to me, is that this movie won an Oscar in 2016 for the Best Feature Documentary. So at least there was something from that perspective from the Academy. For your opinion, whether or not it matters as an Oscar, at least some other people thought this movie was also well put together in that sense. So the last thing I will leave you all with is, they tried to make me go to rehab, but I won't go, go, go. Good night, world. Thanks for sticking around, and if at this point, you might as well leave us a five-star rating on all your favorite places to watch podcasts, because we certainly appreciate you, and thanks for being here. Bye. Right. Right. Bye. Bye. Four.